so thankful for the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it, it amazes me. It's like you read through, this is totally in the side, but it just came to my head. You read through Hebrews chapter 11 and you read about all these great men of faith and all of these things and all the way through. And, and I think to myself how amazing that is from, from Abraham to Moses to all the way down through. Um, but we have something they didn't have. We are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit of God. How crazy is that? How amazing is that? And how much more does that make us accountable? Whew. Save your applause. Um, I, I, was, I was telling Jim this the other day. I, when Sean asked me to, to preach, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I got, I got all these ideas in my head, and I was putting together these things anyway, and I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to go. And God said, no, I want you to go back to this message that you've preached before. Um, I've done it a couple times, really, around the world. And I'm like, really? Can't I just do this thing I want to do? I, got, this is, can't, I just want to pound on the podium and stuff. Can't I just? He was like, no, I want you to, I, I want you to go back to this. So... Um, which is which is good. I'm 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 good with that. But I, uh, um, it's good that the Holy Spirit uh, reigns us in, directs us, speaks to us, tells us exactly where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to say and who we're supposed to say it to. And um, so for uh, for whoever uh, whoever needs this, which is always me because I'm always preaching to myself. Um, whoever needs this besides me, <laughs> the Holy Spirit heard you. Um, one of the things that has, has, has always stuck in my head is something that I learned very early on in my Christian walk um, from uh, reading some stuff by a guy named Watchman Nee. And I, uh, I, I came across this message that Watchman Nee had preached. Watchman Nee was Chinese, um, and amazing, absolutely. If you have not read The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee, do yourself a favor. Um, the revelation is absolutely as deep as it gets. Awesome, amazing stuff. I would highly recommend it. But at one point, Watchman Nee was talking to some group, I assume Westerners, um, and, uh, and he said to them, you know, Westerners have a, a problem that I don't have. And it's that people who are in the West have been brought up in a Greek way of thinking. We, we think very logically, very systematically. It's very step-by-step. Step. What is there is, 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 is what you get. There's, there's nothing behind words. It's, it's simply what it says. Um, he said, Jesus... And all the people that wrote the Bible were not Westerners. They were Easterners. He said, being an Easterner, I have an advantage over you guys because I already think like Jesus. And I've, I, I've said this many times uh, to, especially in, in, when I'm in India and, and speaking to them there. I often say, you know, you have an advantage over me, sort of like Watchman Nee said, in that not only do you look more like Jesus than I do, you think much more 
like he does. So there's always an understanding in reading the word that there is more to it than we think it is. And at one point in this message from Watchman Nee, he, he alluded to um, the story of the Good Samaritan and, and said a few things about it and said essentially at the end, well, you all know that because I, I talked about it last time I was here and I'm thinking to myself, well, I wasn't there. I don't know what you're talking about. But it stuck in my head for a long time. And, uh, and, and years later, as I, I mean, after I'd gotten through everything Watchman Nee's ever written and began to understand a little bit more about how he taught and what he meant in, in all of that, I started to go back to this, to this story um, and started to pull it apart and started to really look at it critically and say, okay, what does this really mean? How does this really come out? And I really found as I went through it, this is, you keep saying that word, I don't think it means what you think it means. Um, and I, I found myself saying, this is not what we've been taught. Not that what we've been taught about this is, is bad, just it's not the point of the matter. Um, so if you, if you turn to uh, Luke chapter 10 in your Bible, um, this is where it all comes out of, and I, I think we'll have some, basically just a scripture to follow along with um, on the screen as well. So let's, let's set the scene here. So Jesus has just sent out um, all of these people to go out and do these miracles, and they came back, and it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. The 70 people that he sent out came back and said, holy smokes, we did all these things that you said. We did all these things that you did, and it was, and it was they, were, they were rejoicing and, and all of these things, and we, we don't really know the, the scene where they were, who was around, but I suspect they all came back to Jesus. There was 70 of them. Probably the people that they were out preaching to followed them back, and with this huge crowd, a bunch of people came. There was a bunch of people who were, who were all in there, and, and Jesus, being Jesus, probably didn't, didn't hide a lot of the things that he was saying. Occasionally, he would, he would pull his disciples aside and say, um, this is just for you guys. But most of the time, I don't think he was, he was shy about, about what he was saying. And he said, um, in, verse, in verse 23, it says, turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear... Th- things which you hear and did not hear them. And on that, it says in verse 25, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Now, as I started in this, this is, this, this idea isn't, uh, is completely and utterly unsupported by anything other than this, this word lawyer. Um, it doesn't, it's, I, I don't know if this is the case, but I like to think it was the case because I said to myself, okay, what was significant about this lawyer that, that stood up in the middle of this crowd? Because uh, this, was, this was a pretty serious situation where, I mean, Jesus had all his troops there. 
I mean, he had 70 people that had just come back and done all these miracles, plus all their people, and it was crazy. And this lawyer had the guts to stand up in the middle of that and put him to the test. After all this, in the midst of all this, and I'm thinking to myself, what kind of a guy would do that? And then I thought to myself, so what do they mean by the word lawyer? A lawyer was uh, the, the person that, that judged the, the law, the law of Moses. He was an adjudicator. Most likely, when it says lawyer, it very well could mean, and probably does mean, a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of 100 guys that judged the law. If somebody had some sort of issue or some sort of problem or said, what does this really mean? Or there was, a, there was discord or a conflict, they would come to the Sanhedrin and, and the Sanhedrin would rule on it. So the Sanhedrin, was the, they were the spiritual rulers of Israel. So I thought to myself, man, if this was a member of the Sanhedrin, what, you know, who particularly could this have been? And I thought to myself, well, I do know one guy who was a member of the Sanhedrin, who certainly was zealous, who certainly had the guts to stand up in the middle of this because he wouldn't care. And this was a man named Saul, who was a lawyer, a member of the Sanhedrin, not just a member of the Sanhedrin, but an officer in the Roman army. Probably the most powerful Jewish man on the planet, being the spiritual leader as a member of the Sanhedrin and a physical leader as a member of the Roman army, an officer. That's a big deal. This guy would have the guts to stand up and do it. Now, I don't know if it was Saul or not, but it had to be somebody like him. And in the made-for-TV movie, just to add a little spice, it would be Saul. <laughs> so, we're, so we're going with that. So Saul stands up and puts him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, of course, gave him the right answer, and he said... I'm going to give you a question. What is written in the law? How does it read to you, big shot? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself, which is something that particularly a member of the Sanhedrin, particularly Saul, had been saying since he was a little kid. It rolled right out of him. Without even thinking, Jesus probably barely got the words out of his mouth, and Saul rolled it out to him. If you turn to, if you'd like to turn, or you can just listen to me, uh, Deuteronomy 6.5, this is in the law, it says, these words which I command, which I'm commanding to you, shall be in your heart. And then Leviticus 19.18 says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
that was a, a, a saying that they put together, and it was called the Shema. Thus saith the Lord. Shema is a, is a word that is, essentially denotes the voice of God. So when Saul rattled this back to him, he did it without thinking, because that's the answer to essentially everything. Just about any question you could answer to a, a Jewish man, especially a learned Jewish man like this, you could give that. You could give that, uh, um, that response. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus said to him, right, good job. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay. So then Saul steps back and says, all right, um, there are a lot of people here who know me. I think we know from the story of Saul, he was a pretty nasty character at times. Um, he was pretty serious. I'm sure he was awfully harsh in many, many ways. And Jesus says, you got it. That's all you need to do. And everyone around there is thinking, yeah, well, we know Saul. And we know he does not love his neighbor as himself. <laughs> so Saul had two choices. He was, he was stuck there. And, and he had just said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. So he basically had two choices. And he couldn't say, oh yeah, well, who is God? I mean, he probably would have been stoned to death right there. So he had one choice. Jesus backed him into a corner. He had one choice. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because he didn't have a choice. He had, he had nothing else he could say. He was totally and utterly stuck. So I've, I've, <laughs> I've copious notes in my, in my Bible all through this. Um, but this morning, I, I actually went out on a limb and I, and I wrote some more notes for you. <laughs> so when I say locked and loaded, I'm not joking. So, in, in verse 30, it says, Jesus replied. And we assume that Jesus was replying, answering this question, who is my neighbor? But if you look at that, at that Greek word, um, replied, it is the Greek word hupalambano, which, okay, I'm not, I almost started another sermon in the middle of the sermon, and I stopped myself, so you're welcome. Um, hupalambano literally means to take up or bear. So when it says that he replied, essentially what it's saying is Jesus stepped up and said, okay, I got a story for y'all. He was not answering the question, who is my neighbor? 
He was stepping aside of that. He was stepping past Saul's question and saying, I have a bigger issue for you. I have a bigger answer to that. In the, in the verse 27, where it says, and he answered, that is a different Greek word, which means to answer. So if this story of the Good Samaritan was an answer to that question, it would have simply said, he answered him. But it wasn't an answer. It was a step past that. He stepped away from Saul and he said to the crowd, okay, I got a story for you. Now, when I talk about the idea of, of, of not having a hard time understanding the, the Eastern uh, idea, the Eastern way of thinking as opposed to the, to the Greek way of thinking. This story of, of the Good Samaritan seems pretty cut and dry to us. It seems like we get it all, like we understand it because of what it says. But the fact is that as Jesus is telling this story the people that are hearing him are hearing something very different than what we do because everything means something beyond what it says. And you'll, you'll, you'll get that as I go. I, I'll, I'll throw this in just because I think it's funny. Um, I, I tell people all the time about how coffee was discovered. Um, it was actually discovered by goats, if, if you don't if you don't know that story. It was, a, it was an Ethiopian goat herder in the 700s who realized that his goats were going out into the foothills and coming back all jumpy. And so one day, he followed them out, and he saw them eating off this bush, and he said, it's good enough for the goats. It's good enough for me. And so he grabbed some and ate some. And oftentimes, I say, we're lucky that he was an Easterner, because if he was a Westerner, he would have said, Build a fence around those things and keep those jumpy goats out of there. <laughs> so God knows. God knows who to give the real heavy truth to. Praise God for Amen to that. So, so Jesus starts out in verse 30. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. When Jesus says this, everyone in the room knows what he's talking about. Because this guy was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, there was this dude walking along the road and he got jumped by a bunch of thugs. He said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and everybody knew that that guy was going the wrong direction. He was going from the city of God, from the city of blessing, to the city of cursing. God blessed Jerusalem. God destroyed Jericho. This guy was going the wrong way. And you know what happens when you're going the wrong way, on the wrong road? You get jumped by a bunch of thugs who beat you up and leave you on the side of the road. Now, again, 
that is, that is something that, that everybody there gets. They all hear it and they go, okay, here's, our, here's setting the scene. This guy is walking the wrong way. In his life, he is going the wrong direction. And bad things happen when you're going the wrong direction. Verse 31, and by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And again, everyone understands what Jesus is saying. And some people are probably getting a little bit nervous. Because the priest was obviously the representation of religion. So this guy is going the wrong way. He gets himself in trouble. And religion not only can't help him, doesn't help him, goes to the other side of the road. This guy who is, who, is, who is beaten and dying on the side of the road, religion can't save him. Religion cannot help you if you are going the wrong way. Verse 31. Likewise, a Levite, also when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And you know in the made-for-TV movie, when Jesus gets to this part and he says, a Levite, he looks right at Paul. He says, I'm talking about you, pal. And, and Paul gets a little bit antsy and he makes sure that he's still got his sword with him. And he, and he glares back at him. Because what Jesus is saying is this guy who's going the wrong way from, from blessing to cursing, not only can religion not help you, which is all of the works and all of that stuff, but the law also can't help you. He passed by on the other side of the road. I suspect he probably looked at one of the, at one of the, the, the priests or sages or rabbis when he said the first one, and then he looked at Paul and said, mm, sorry, you can't help him either. There's nothing you can do. Religion cannot help you. And the law cannot help you when you are going the wrong way. But a Samaritan, it says in verse 33, but a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Turn to John 8, 48. So we know that the Samaritans were outcasts. They were half Jewish and half Gentile. They were half-breeds. They were, they were completely looked down upon by Jews at the time. They were, they were even limited to what they would even be allowed to read in the Bible. Right, exactly. That's how bad it was. These people were completely shunned. The Jews completely set them aside. And in fact, to call somebody a Samaritan was like many of the racial slurs that we have today. When you threw that out as a Jew, to another Jew, that was serious. That was serious stuff. John 8, 48. 
it says, the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and a demon? They say that to Jesus. Whoo! Holy buckets. Probably the only thing worse than calling somebody a Samaritan would be to call him a demon. They didn't even say, you have a demon. They said, you are a demon. You are a no good, stinking Samaritan and a demon. That's serious stuff. And Jesus answered and said, I don't have a demon. It would be like somebody saying to me, you're stupid and ugly, and me saying, well, I'm not ugly. <laughs> There's an implication there. When they say you're a Samaritan and a demon, and Jesus says, I don't have a demon, he's grabbing a hold of that label. He's saying, you know what? Call me a Samaritan. I don't care. These are the people that I love too. It was something that he embraced. And when you look at chronologically through the books, this happened before the, the, the story that he told about the Good Samaritan. So the idea that people called him, accused him of being a Samaritan was pretty well known. It was pretty obvious. And when he says, religion cannot save this guy, and the law cannot save this guy, and then he says, but a Samaritan came along, everyone in that crowd knew that he was talking about him. This story is not about us. It's about him. He doesn't call us to be the Samaritan. He says, I'm the Samaritan. I just wrecked a lot of Sunday school stuff right there. I just wrecked a lot of little songs and stuff you've learned, so I'm sorry. You can still sing them. They're fine. This is a, this is a much bigger issue. Because we are not the Samaritan. We are the guy in the street. Some of you may be in the guy in the street right now. And if that's true, Samaritan is there to help. But all of us once were. If we aren't today, all of us once were. This is not about us. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Because only Jesus is going to feel compassion out of those three. Religion doesn't care about you. The law doesn't care about you. Jesus is the one who has compassion. Jesus is the one who can come along and who can take care of you. And he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil. Oil 
Everybody there, again, they know what he's talking about when he says that he poured oil on him because this is all a, a, a parable. This is all a story. Everything has a symbol. When he says he poured oil on him, he understands that, that the oil to them is the idea of fellowship. And the oil to us would be the understanding of the Holy Spirit. So he came, he, he, he came upon him. He bandaged, he bandaged up his wounds. Whew. You have wounds? The Samaritan will bandage those babies up. And he will bring you into fellowship with him through his Holy Spirit. He poured oil and wine. Wine, again, is the understanding of redemption. And people know that. They're listening to this and they're like, okay, I got it. The priest can't give me these things, won't give me these things. The law can't and won't, but the Samaritan will. And how awesome is it that Jesus is like, I, it just hits me every time I read this. The idea that he steps up and says, I'm the Samaritan, I'm the dude, and he just, and he grabs a hold of that. I can't even, I can't even tell you how, how awesome it is to think about the fact that he never shirks on that. He never walks away from that. Not only does he say, I'm the Samaritan, I'm the super Samaritan. You want to find yourself a Samaritan, I'm it. So he gives him fellowship. He pours wine on the wound, which is redemption. And he put him on his own beast. Because only Jesus will take your burdens. He will heal your wounds. He will redeem you. And then he will take your burdens on his own beast. The priest can't do it. And the Levite can't do it, won't do it, have no ability to do it, have no ability to have the compassion that Jesus does. But Jesus will. Every time he will. And he brought them to an inn and took care of him. Jesus will bandage up your wounds. He will bring you into fellowship. He will redeem you. He will take away your burdens and he will bring you to the body of Christ, to the house of God. If you are here today, you are hanging out in the inn because that's what the Samaritan does. Those are the steps that he takes. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Let me tell you, Samaritan's coming back. 
He is coming back. And for the innkeeper, our own innkeeper is coming back to repay you. And he's coming back to repay us all. We've gone from the man in the street via the Samaritan to being placed in the inn to being innkeepers to whom the Samaritan will repay because he's coming back. Let me assure you, he's coming back. Then he turns back to Saul and he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And Saul said, I want to show mercy to him. And Jesus said, what? <laughs> I want to show mercy to him. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't, I can't hear you. He said, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, yep, go and do the same. And once again, Saul was stuck because he couldn't, because he couldn't do the same, and he knew it. In the made-for-TV movie, Saul would storm out. You would see in the background the cross, and then you would see Saul watching Stephen be stoned. Because nothing is going to tick this guy off like, being, have, like, like having this whole thing being put in his face in the middle of all of these people. Saul thought he was the smart guy. <laughs> thought he knew how it was all going. Was ready to face this guy down. And, and Jesus put it right back on him. The call of Jesus to go and do the same is an impossibility. When Jesus says, you must be perfect for your father, as your father in heaven is perfect, that is an impossibility. Which is how he answered the other guy who asked him, how do I get to, get to heaven? And Jesus said, simple. Be perfect. You'll get to heaven. And again, he says, if you can bandage someone's wounds, bring them into fellowship, redeem them, take all of their burdens, bring them to the house of God, and then repay the innkeeper... Well, that's all you got to do. It's just that simple. You got to do all that stuff. It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility for us. At least it was then. It is Pentecost Sunday. 
and the reality is, all of these things are no longer impossible. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us so that we can do these things and greater things than Jesus did. We have something that Saul could not possibly have had. We have the answer, we have the power, and we have the directive to go and do the same. I appreciate so much the message slash infomercial that Sean gave last week because this message is, is sort of a, a, a bookend with another message that is about doing the stuff. But the reality is, doesn't do you any good to do the stuff if the stuff hasn't already been done to you. If you have been called, if your burdens have been, have been carried, if your wounds have been healed, if you have been redeemed, if you have been brought to the house of God, there's stuff to be done. But the first step is this one. There was a time for all of us when none of us could be the Samaritan, could do the Samaritan. We were just a guy in the street. Going the wrong direction. Pummeled by a bunch of thugs because that's what happens when you go the wrong direction. And now God has brought us into his inn and made us one with him. I have a thousand other things I could say but I'm not going to. Because that's the message that God wants for you today. That's what God wants you to hear today. Don't rely on that other stuff. Because it's not going to help you. Don't grab hold of the law and think that you can use it to paddle your way out of that river because you can't. It's time. It's time. Go and do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, I thank you that you have come along for us, that you have come along to redeem us, to bear our burdens, to bring us into fellowship with you and fellowship with each other. I thank you so much for, for the leaders that you have placed in this church, for the people that are here. God, we submit we submit to you, Lord, to your will, to your work, 
to your hands, to your spirit. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, God, that all of us were lost. Now we're found. And I just say to you, that perhaps you haven't met the Samaritan. Perhaps you haven't had that privilege. The opportunity has always been there, but the time is right now. Because if you don't know him, you are going the wrong direction. Because if the robbers have not fallen on you yet, they will. Because that's what happens when you're going the wrong direction. I would ask that you make a decision right now. You open up your hearts. You open up your lives and you say, I'm done. I'm done going down this road. I'm done doing this. I can't be saved by helping this guy on the road because I can't do it. I've got to recognize that I am the guy on the road. And I would just say to anyone who is, who is feeling that, that, that pull, who's hearing that call, was laying on the side of the road waiting for rescue, that your rescue is here today, right now, right now. I'm going to pray. And I want you to just repeat after me. This is the moment. This is the time. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you made me. I thank you that you made me to be perfect as you are perfect. God, help me. I give myself to you. Redeem me. Take my burdens. Bring me into fellowship with you. And into fellowship with other believers. Forgive me of my sins. And wash me clean. Someday, you will come back to repay me. And I want to be ready. In Jesus' name. Amen. You said that prayer for the first time and you meant it. Samaritan's already helping you. It's already done. You've already been placed in the inn. 
you have been redeemed. Throw your burdens on him and walk. Walk in his way. Walk in his light. In Jesus' holy name.